The financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hello, Paul. How's it going over there today? I'm doing well. Fantastic. Uh, coming off a short week, I took an extra day off this week after Memorial Day. Um, so I kind of had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, so it was good, uh, but it seemed to be pretty packed with stuff. Uh, but I did enjoy the the long weekend. Um, I have a uh, college reunion today to go to for myself. So I'm, I'm excited to bring my family down to our old university, to Fordham. Uh, to check it out. Uh, so we're going to spend the afternoon there. Um, and then I did something this morning that I hadn't done in a very long time. I kind of, I printed out paper calendars and started jotting down stuff. There was, there's so much going on between June and July for me. Um, I, I was getting frazzled going between a work calendar and going to my personal calendar, um, you know, because the two shall not meet, at least in my world. Um, and so um, I kind of had to jot down the major things on paper. <laughs> so I was going back to paper. Uh, but other than that, um, it's calming. I did that this morning before going to the gym, and I found it pretty effective. I kind of know where all the highlights are now, so it's working out well. I'm just balancing home stuff with business travel and, and stuff like that. How are you doing? Uh, busy, busy, very busy week at work. As you know, I think uh, listeners might have heard, uh, looking at doing a small construction project on my home here. And uh, reached out to a few vendors I got from neighbors, and one of them called me back and said, yeah, no thanks. We're, we're just too busy. We, he didn't even really give me a good reason. He just said, no thanks. I'm like, not that small a project, but okay. So that that was a little weird. Um, but then someone else did call and say, all right, let's talk. So it, it balances out. But otherwise, uh, just a very busy week. Short yeah, weeks seem to condense things. Yeah, that is weird because it's not like you're trying to – get somebody to come in and hang bookshelves or something, right? You're looking right. to do something major, but I guess uh-huh. that's the market as it stands today. So, um, yeah, you know, so I guess that's, it is what it is. So, um, well, today's podcast is with Chris Craddock. We'll talk to Chris about closing on distressed properties, sharing his strategies that are helping real estate investors and agents increase their revenue by reviving dead leads and, and turning them into cash. But first let's look at some news we uh, saw this past week. The first news story, or I guess the only news story, was from Yahoo Finance. Extreme frugality is a personal finance problem no one talks about, but it can lead to can be bad to save too much. Um, it's a short article; it's an easy read. Um, I guess um, you know. I guess there's this whole philosophy of kind of like dying at, with zero, right? <laughs> like, so if you if you're extremely frugal and you don't have any money left. Um, I think, uh, or you have too much money left, uh, it's somehow, I guess, uh, what's the words I'm looking for? I'm struggling here. Uh, the world won, right? Like if you have, you leave all that money in the bank. So I guess the one who dies with the most toys wins. That's what kind of comes to mind. I think Paul, for me, what my takeaway from the story is life is long. Um, if it happens to end unexpectedly, um, that's okay. You probably might not know about it anyway. (laughs) So it is what it is. And it'd be more money for your family. Um, but my take on it is, you know, life is long. So, you know, I don't know if I totally agree with the article, um, but asking yourself the right questions that they cited in the article, I thought was important. 
right? To take your to take the time to, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to travel? What does old age look like? You know, all these different things like 10, 20 years from now. I think those are important questions to ask yourself and also to ask your spouse and family. So that's my takeaway from it. So I thought it was good advice from that perspective. Paul, what was your take on this story? Yeah, I, similar, but a little different, right? The, he was super frugal, this individual, and his boss asked him a question and realized that the point in life wasn't to save as much as possible, but to survive and live. And to survive, you have to understand what is your survival number? You know, what does it take to, for living expenses and things like that? And everything else you can live because what's the point of not living if you're just going to sit there and save everything? And uh, I think the other part was frugality can be a trap and uh, you have to be careful with it. Personal story, my sister will probably laugh when she says, here's this, but she had seen my socks one time with so many holes in it. She went and bought me a pair of socks and I wasn't in a bad shape or anything at that time. So uh, I personally probably took frugality a little too extreme at one point, but that's my take. Uh, I, I do think it's a decent quick read. Cool. Yeah. Probably, probably a whole topic for a whole other episode at some point. Um, <laughs> but with, but with that, we'll, we'll now like to welcome to the podcast, Chris Craddock. Chris is a nationally certified life coach and leadership and one of the top real estate professionals in the world uh, closing 30 to 65 deals a month. Um, he is the host of the Uncommon Real Estate Podcast, uh, a realtor and an entrepreneur who runs multiple successful businesses in the Washington, D.C. metro area, uh, as well as Virginia, Richmond, uh, Virginia. Uh, his companies consistently bring in close to $10 million in revenue year after year, and his team, the Redux Group, sold just over $160 million in volume in 2020. Um, but I think the most important aspect of this introduction is Chris is married for 21 years and is the proud father of six beautiful children. Um, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. So happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. Um, I think to kick us off, Chris, tell us a little bit about you know yourself and your journey. Yeah, sure. So... Um... You know, I graduated college in 2000 and um, went on staff with an organization called Young Life. I loved Young Life, changed my life. It was incredible. But I made $25,000 a year at the, at, you know, when my wife got pregnant in 2003. And she was going to stay home, raise the kids. And that doesn't work on $25,000 a year. And so uh, I, uh, it was before Google was, you know, the fountain of all information and knowledge. And so I went to the local library and checked out every book I could on real estate investing. I think there were like 21 books and I just like read everything. Like most of them were terrible, but I didn't know the difference in good or terrible at the time. And I just went out and like, like an idiot, just started knocking on doors and asking people that were up for foreclosure, whether they were interested in uh, selling their place. And it's just crazy because that massive and perfect action just brought, you know, I made 12 times what I made in a year in about four months. And it allowed me to continue doing ministry stuff. And I kept doing that for a while. And uh, then as I had more kids and the money started running out, I started flipping houses again. And um, uh, at that point, it was after the crash. And so a lot of those houses were short sales. So I realized to get a real estate license, you'd be able to keep the commission that the banks were paying on the short sales. And one thing led to another, started a real estate team. And then from there, you know, just all the other businesses, title insurance, construction, um, 
you know, mortgage lending, you know, all the other stuff that I uh, came from that. So that's my story. I think that was like a little over 30 seconds. Sorry. <laughs> that was great. That, 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 that's amazing. Going from ministry to that and, uh, and, and doing it really well. I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I've always uh, sort of thought about it. I only started to dabble in the market recently. So I'm looking to get a lot out of this episode. Probably one of those uh, listened to more frequently. So, so tell us the mindset to a million. How does one grow, you know, to a hundred million dollar real estate sales team in less than five years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been uh, it's been pretty incredible. Um, I look at <laughs> I look at that, and I, I just can't even believe it. In 2010, um, before I got back into flipping, um, I was just I was just sharing this, like literally 2010, working ministry again. The money started running out, and that I made, you know previous and that we were kind of living on. And, uh, um, you know, it, it was nutty. I was trying to sell my blood for $300 to NIH to buy Christmas presents for my family. That's how little wow. money we have. And now it's, it's, it's the opposite, you know, um, it's, it's just crazy. But, um, yeah, the, the whole idea behind it was, you know, just massive and perfect action, right? Everybody, does so much. And I'm, you know, if you're listening and not watching, I'm air quoting research, right? And, you know, research is just another, you know, way to procrastinate, right? That Like, it just really is. Everybody needs to feel like they need to perfectly understand what the next step is. Nobody that's ever done anything massively important in this life, nobody that's ever done anything that's exciting has ever been perfect when they do it, right? I'm just telling you, you, you go forward, you got to make moves and it's not going to be right. You're going to have to adjust and you just got to start, start doing things. I mean, heck Facebook's, you know, motto, move fast and break things, right? Like that is the whole idea. Like get moving, get into imperfect action. Yeah. I love that, that line, right? I, I, I had another question, but I'm going to kind of sit on that one for a minute. Massive and perfect action. I, lo I love that quote. Um, I'm going to steal that going forward, Chris. I'll give you credit for it. I don't think I've heard it before, but it does make sense. And I think it ties back to, you know, the, the whole real estate investing. And just like Paul, you know, I've, I've looked at real estate investing over the years, but, but never pulled the trigger on anything um, when it came to it. Uh, but this concept of distressed properties, I've always seen kind of, I think the late night infomercials and stuff like that. There was Carlton Sheets years ago. I remember now I'm probably dating myself, Chris. You probably don't remember Carlton Sheets, but there were all these different mechanisms and levers to buy properties. And I think they've talked about this, you know, the idea of distressed properties. Can you explain to the audience maybe distressed properties 101? What is a distressed property and a little bit more about that? Yeah, so a distressed property, what you're looking for, if you're in real estate, um, so there's there's two options of real estate. There's the real estate agent and the real estate investor. Now, I do think there's a convergence of these uh, these two co that's coming together. I think this is the future of what's going to be going on in real estate. Um, but uh, a distressed property is you're you're always looking for somebody that is a motivated seller, and by that you're you're saying they're raising their hand and saying I want to sell my property in the next six months, and then you're further differentiating, right? The distressed seller versus the um, the motivated seller. The distressed seller needs to sell fast, right? Or has some sort of, we call it some sort of pain, right? They, you know, they need to sell fast. They're in foreclosure. They got a job transfer and they have to sell 
right away. Their house is just a total disaster. They're, they've got a hoarder house. They haven't kept up a maintenance. Uh, maybe they're a landlord that just doesn't have, uh, like they're just frustrated because they just hate, you know, being a landlord, whatever that is. And they just want out. You're looking for that. That's your distressed seller or motivated, like the, the person that's ready to go. And if you can find those folks, um, then you can, you can buy a house, you know, on at 65 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar. If you don't, then, you know, as a real estate agent, you can list the property and sell it. I know that's the cool thing is like you get a $500,000 house, you're, you're going to make $15,000 if you sell that house for them. So there's a lot of money to be made there, but you have to, you have to be skillful. It's not just like, Hey, let me just show up. But I will say this, you know, showing up is, you know, is the first step to getting stuff done. So, and there's lots of ways to, to find these houses and I can share some of those if, if you like, but there's lots of ways to find houses like that. Now that's great because I think what we had a, a buddy of ours, we spoke about Fordham university. We talk oh. about Fordham university a lot. That's kind of our ecosystem. Everyone, <laughs> the friend Vince group. Lombardi, right? Isn't that where Vince Lombardi was? Yes. Yes. yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we, we have a friend of ours who, who's on the West coast, uh, Dave, he, he did a whole episode on, on his journey in real estate. Uh, he's a young, a young father, uh, with beautiful daughter and he's, and he's looking to potentially retire from the West coast and come to the East coast. And he's been buying real estate over the last several years and he's been, you know, buying them and, and holding them. And, and I think when it comes to one of the questions I have for you is, uh, are you more of a flipper? Or are you more of a, a buy and hold? Do you do a combination of the two? And, and do you see kind of advantages to, to flipping versus buy and hold? Okay, so all of the above, and if you'll indulge me, this is like one of my favorite things to talk about. So, okay. um, so the house I live in right now, we're building another another uh, place. Actually, that's where uh, I was like a couple minutes behind because I was at Home Depot trying just waiting forever for somebody this morning. But we're building another place. But the house I live in right now here in Virginia, I literally bought in 2006 right at the top of the market. The, the highest... Like the highest you could look at at the time, right? We had the biggest crash in the history of all crashes other than the Great Depression in this country. But I bought, I'm just going to use real numbers so you like, so we can see the importance of this. I bought my house at 690, right? That's, that's how much I paid for my house in 2006. I literally lost over $100,000 within like four or five months, right? Like my house just plummeted, you know, terrible. And now, we're, we're looking, you know, just whatever, whatever it is, like 14 years later, 15 years later, however long it is. And right now my house is worth over a million dollars, right? I had the biggest crash in the history of crashes. And here's the cool thing. We're building our new house right now and uh, we'll be in probably next month. But I'm going to be able to keep this because a couple years after buying this, I, I was able to, because we put a big down payment down, you know, I used some of the money I, I made on flipping. And I, I converted this into a 15 year note. And so this house is gonna be paid off in no time. So the difference between geniuses and real estate in, in real estate and idiots is how long you hold it, right? Like that's it. Like, you know, you've never seen a grandfather say, Man, I'm so glad I sold my house 40 years ago. That doesn't happen, right? And so here's the other piece too. So one of the things that I also learned is um, when you flip. It's still a job, right? Like, like I want to get into wealth. Wealth is when your money works harder than you do. So I always want to be 
growing my wealth, not just having a more, a bigger job right now. Don't get me wrong. At some point you have to earn the cash, right? So at, at some point you've got to trade your time for dollars, but then you've got to grow wealth. And the way you grow wealth is owning properties and, and letting that money work for you. And, and, and I'll tell you, there's, there's a couple of reasons why when you look at, oh man, I, if you're all right, I'll just Dude, get into keep the going. This is good stuff. I love it. So here's the thing. If, if, if I earn $100,000 on a flip, right, I'm paying my taxes on it. Let's just say I'm at the top tax bracket, you know, 50%. The government's taking 50 cents on that dollar. I'm keeping 50 grand, right? Here's the other thing. If I buy a house and I have 100 grand of equity, I can go refi that house. I can take cash out of that house. You know, let's say instead of taking out a uh, hundred grand, let's say the bank will let me take out 80 grand. I can take out 80 grand right there, free and clear. And it's a non-taxable event, which means I can take out $80,000. I now am $80,000 richer and the government didn't take 50 grand of my money. So right there, you understand that tax, the tax strategy is massive. There's a book called Tax-Free Wealth that shows you like you literally, the government incentivizes certain behavior and some of those behaviors is owning real estate and providing housing to people. And so they're going to incentivize you tax-wise. Everybody thinks it's about being like aggressive or not aggressive. It's not. It's about understanding the tax code and the tax code rewards real estate owners. Wow. All right. Great. So that'll be my next book to read. Um, I'm reading one right now that's a little deep, but uh, so that will be definitely the next one. Thank you. So how does one... Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out there. If anybody ever wants to reach out to me, I'm, I always just want to be like, so many people were so generous with their time. Like I've got CPAs, like, like everybody, so many people say, oh, I like my CPA. My CPA is great. But if you don't have a CPA that, that you think is incredible, I mean, like incredible, then you need to go find one that's actually going to teach you how the tax code works and how you can save money. I've got a CPA that literally I refer everybody to, and I've got a, a link. Normally they charge a consultation fee. I've got a link that I, I can share with anybody that that's interested that, uh, you know, if you sign up under that link, they'll do your, their consultation and literally do like a teach it. Like you'll get like half an hour to an hour where they're going to teach you about how to save money on your taxes and how to structure and everything else. Just because I like, there's some like when, when you save over six figures a year on your taxes, because somebody shows you how to structure your taxes, you're going to tell everybody. And that's what I'm doing. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to uh, reach out to you. Just send the link now. All right. Um, I definitely want it. So I, I want to backtrack a little bit here. Yeah. How does one crack the code and uh, the real estate agent investor partnership? How, how did that come about? Like, I, I want to go back a little bit to one of your earlier comments there. <clears throat> well, first of all, um, so if, if you're able to bring in distressed properties, right? Motivated properties, distressed properties. And I'll, I'll just give you two ways. There's lots of ways to do it. I'll give you two quick ways. One is called driving for dollars, right? Here's the easiest thing you do. You go to the, there's an app called Deal Machine, right? You go to that app, use the promo code uncommon and you'll get, you know, your first month like for free and then all the data really, really cheap. Um, so deal machine, use the code uncommon. And what you do is you'll pull up a map function and literally when, whenever you leave the house, you know, just, just go a different way, like drive a different neighborhood. And what you're doing is you're looking for a property that looks dilapidated. 
right? Any property that looks like it's not being kept up, what that tells you is, you know, we, we need to be like Sherlock Holmes, right? Like what is what does it tell you if a property is dilapidated? Maybe they don't have the money, maybe they don't have the time, maybe they're like the absentee landlords, maybe they're like there there's a lot of different reasons, but bottom line is they're not keeping up with that property. So you literally just click a button on there. And you want to do that with 150 properties because if you do it with like one or two, you just don't have a big enough data source. But then the cool thing is on the app deal machine, and uh, and again, you get a discount if you use the uncommon promo, um, you literally click a button and they'll do something that's called skip tracing. It'll give you the, the name and cell phone number of the, the owner of those houses. And you literally can call or text all of those people and just ask them whether they'd be interested in selling, uh, selling their house. Boom. I'm telling you, the, it's like fish in a barrel. Like wow. that's how you do it. You've got to do enough people. If you, if you do it for three people and say, oh, this doesn't work or eight people and say, oh, this doesn't work. It doesn't work like that, right? You've got to do it with enough people. So that's why I say 150 people, but literally you just spend a week and every time you leave the house, just drive through a different neighborhood, you'll find somebody. Um, then if you want to go next level, you go to batch leads or batch data, batch IO. You, again, use the promo code uncommon and you're going to get like half off on all your data. And the data is like, I think it's like 15 cents per, per person you skip trace. So it's not expensive. Um, but you literally can pull data, you know, and, and this is what you want to look for absentee landlords or people that are distressed. And you can do something called data stacking, which is just, just pick a, a zip code and, and just get the people that are behind on their mortgage in absentee landlords or just absentee landlords or people that have a lot of equity. Right. And literally you can send a couple hundred texts every day. Now to avoid mass text laws and getting in trouble, you actually have to press the button every time you can't send like 150 at a time, like you used to be able to. Um, but, um, bottom line is you're just saying, you know, it's, it, and there's keywords you got to avoid, but on the batch uh, website, it tells you the stuff that you're avoiding. Don't say this. Otherwise the carriers will like block your number. But the bottom line is you can send stuff just asking people if they want to sell and people are going to get back to you. And again, it's this data where, where we now live in this world where data is like the new oil, right? Where data will tell us, okay, these people are likely to buy or these people are likely to sell. So now we can directly hit them up and it's not going to be one for one. So don't think it's going to be like that. It's a numbers game. But you can you can weed out the people that are unlikely to sell and narrow it down to the people that are. And now you've got a list of people that are likely to sell. So that's that's how you start so that you can get in front of these people. And then the answer to your question about the agent investor. But do you, I mean, does does any of that do you have any questions it, on any it, of that? It does. Like, and it resonates with something, Chris, that it, it, it sparked a memory for me that the technology has changed so much, but I remember when I was a kid and I'm just going to go off tangent for a couple, a minute or two. We had this, this barber shop we used to go to. My father became friends with the barber, but he was a barber by trade, but he was a real estate genius in his real life. Like he didn't realize it. He owned the, the, the commercial piece that is, that his uh, barber shop was in and he owned like five or six different rental properties. And his strategy back then in the eighties, like before, texting and before everything we're talking about, he would just go knock on doors, right? He would see a piece of property. He'd see a lot of meters. His things was meters. He loved multifamily. 
And if, you know, he, and to your point, he'd find something that looked like it needed to work or whatever. And he would go knock on doors and find out who the landlord was. And, and that was his mechanism. Um, so I think that what you're talking about technology has helped tremendously in progressing and trying to find these properties. But I think it's almost age old where people have been doing this, but I think years ago they would do it very manually. And, and it was a very, you know, boots on the ground, knocking on doors. When we say li- literally knocking on doors to get some of these things done. Um, the conversation here prompted a couple of other things that I wanted to ask you around around financing. Uh, and you mentioned it a little bit in terms of the equities and stuff. How do you, how do you leverage like the financing, the banks? I think that's important because I think a lot of people don't have the money out of pocket to just go buy these properties outright. Very expensive, right? Especially if they're starting. So what is your recommendation on, on how to leverage financing, I'm going to say, in a safe way um, as opposed to you know just borrowing everything? And then if you don't borrow just right, like I did have a friend of mine um, went to – not you, Paul. This was years ago during the, the – went to Florida – with real estate came back broke, right? Uh, it was kind of during the, the, bur- the bubble, right? Or the burst or whatever. And so I, I just would love your opinion on how to, you know, strategically use financing to build your portfolio. Man, there's so many different ways. And this is something that I could talk about for hours. So I'll just try to hit like my favorite, my favorite points. So number one is uh, there's something that most people don't realize. Most people have a 401k or have an IRA or a Roth or something like that. And what most people don't realize is you can do a self-directed IRA, which means you can literally turn your IRA into cash and buy real estate in that, right? There's some rules and regulations. In order to do that, if you're going to get a loan with that, you've got to get a non-recourse loan. Again, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I've got to... like I, I. I'm a connector, right? I like to just connect the right people. And when I like something, I I tell people about it. That's why I was in ministry. Like my life was changed. And so now I went and told everybody about it. Like this this is the whole thing. So anything I like, I tell everybody about. So I've got a buddy of mine who uh, works for a bank. They have a a product where you can literally convert your uh, retirement or a portion of your retirement into self-directed. You can buy real estate with it. And they also give you a loan um, a, a non-recourse loan, which means they can't come after you personally because that's by law what you have to do when you're doing retirement. Um, so I can connect anybody with uh, with my guy on that. So that's an easy way to buy there. The other piece is um, if you don't have any cash down, um, there's there's hard money lenders out there. Like So there's a strategy called BRRRR, which is you know buy, renovate, rent, refinance and repeat, which means you buy something way under market, you fix it up, you put a renter in there, and then you refinance the money out so that you're taking all the cash back out. And then you now have a property and you get to keep reusing cash, right? So um, so you don't need to have all that cash. Now, it, it doesn't work in major met- metropolitan areas usually because um, you're usually finding this on the like further out areas or you know some of the places where the the prices aren't crazy high um, and and we won't get into why that it works like that, but that's just where you're going to find enough equity to be able to take it all out. Um, but that's one of the other ways. And again, I've got a hard money lender I can, you know, introduce people to. If, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to introduce you to, to the hard money lenders that, uh, that we work with. And then, um, yeah. And, and, and then the other piece is uh, you can buy with, 
like I love if, if you are renting first investment you need to make is buy your own property. The difference between a property owner and a renter is 48 X, not 48% for every $1 a renter has the equity and the net worth of a property owner is $48, right? So that's the difference between real estate owners and renters, right? It's massive. Life is monopoly, right? You don't win if you don't buy the properties you land on. And so um, it's really, really important. Then, then the other piece is I, I call it, you know, quasi house hacking, which is if you live in a property, you can move into the next one. It's harder if you've got a family. And I know this is for, for dad. So I don't do this, but, but for people that have like smaller families or younger families or no families, I say you can buy a house with 3% down, 5% down. So one house that you buy for 25% down, you can buy five houses with 5% down. So you buy a house, you move into the next one, move into the next one, move into the next one, and you keep the other ones. And you literally can have five houses for what you would buy one investment house for. So I know I just went through a ton of things. I hope I didn't move too fast. You did. Yeah, you, you did. So I, with the using your 401k or your IRAs and things like that, I think we might have done, uh, I think it might be the same thing. Um, how to how to use it? We did an episode on that called the IRS uh, the ROBS program. Is that what you're referring to? No. Um, I'm not sure if that's the name of it or okay. not. Um, All right. Well, we but, we did a similar episode for anyone who wants to know. It's uh, how to start a business using your own 401k or IRA with Bernard Reese. It was kind of neat. So uh, I think it sounds like you could do the same thing there, which is really really cool. So uh, you you said something that triggered a thought and I kind of want to ask when you're buying these properties with three, 5% down for, and then you, I think the key was you said you're moving into them because you're the the owner of that property and you're staying there probably for X amount of time and then doing that again. Now, my understanding of the market is when you do that, you're generally paying a higher rate on the loan than say 20% down, 25% down. Is that correct? Is that what you're saying? So you're actually, if it's owner occupied, you're paying you're paying a much lower rate um, than when you buy a 25% down investment property because the the way uh, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mac, like the way they they operate is they give the government will give you a lower rate if it's owner occupied. And the cool thing is the the rules don't say how long that you have to live there right. before you move to the next one. So you could move in and. 10 days later, like change everything. 10 days later, go buy another property. Like the rules don't say how long. Now, obviously, if you buy six of them in a year, you know, you, there may be some questions when they're selling the loan or whatever. But, you know, there there are no guidelines for how long it has to be owner occupied before you move. Very neat. Very neat. So, I, I don't know. Just, just, just trying to figure that out. So, how do you, how do you manage? all this to fit your time, your family, uh, all all these businesses you have going on. Yeah. So uh, I would just say this, the other businesses, um, you know, when I was, I had a big real estate team that was at Keller Williams right before we jumped over to EXP Realty. Um, And, you know, I I do think Gary Keller is one of the smartest people in real estate. And I, I had the privilege of being mentored by him for a little while. And one of the things he would say was, um, 
you can have as many businesses as you want, as long as they all have a folder, right? They all have a folder and somebody's face is on that folder that's in charge of that business and that face is not your face, right? So that's like the big key there is each business has to have somebody else that's in charge of moving that business forward and it needs to not be you. Otherwise, you're just going to have, it's going to be a bottleneck. So for me, I know what my genius zone is. I know what I'm, I'm really good at. And so I'm able to just put those things into the, the business, but they're moving forward on their own. And I get to add my own, you know, my own kind of fuel to those fires, but I'm not the one that's in charge of moving the ball forward on those businesses. Yeah. And Chris, th- this is another thing that I wanted to ask you about because our buddy Dave had mentioned in his real estate experience, he buys predominantly in Oklahoma and Florida. And in each one of those areas, he has a solid real estate agent, a solid handyman or handy woman, whatever, handy person, <laughs> contractor, general contractor. Um, I think the other thing he mentioned that he had in those locations is a really strong um, management company to manage the properties, the day-to-day on it. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, the, the your CPA and, and, and these other folks. What is the typical, what is the optimal dream team that you want to build around yourself in order to be successful? Because to your point, you don't want your face on all those folders because you don't, you don't want to be your own CPA. You don't want to be your own attorney. Otherwise, you know, if, unless you're skilled at it and very few are skilled at all these disciplines. So, do you have a list in your mind if you look at your across your your team who are the key components in their team and the team and how are they serving you in terms of you know making you successful in in all this real estate stuff so there's a handful i i mean thankfully my world has grown tremendously so now like every time your world grows it, it usually has to coincide with new relationships to to grow it but what i would say is when people are starting out you need to get a relationship with a great lender. And a lot of times there's two lenders that you need to need to have a relationship with. One is a regular residential lender and two is a commercial lender. And if you don't have a re- relationship with both of them, you're, you're probably going to be in trouble one way or another, right? Like, um, I won't get into the weeds on that, but, uh, um, that's it. That's important. Number two, your CPA, I promise you, I promise you, promise you, promise you, if you start making any money at all in real estate, you, you are probably going to be paying the government way more than you have to, right? And not to get too crazy political about everything, but I'm just going to get mildly political. Uh, everybody, like I saw people just trashing Trump because of how little he paid in taxes on stuff. And I'm just like, if he didn't break the law, why should like... Why should somebody trash somebody like like I'm not out here looking to write an extra check to the government. I don't think anybody out here is looking to write an extra check to the government, right? Like obey the tax code. And if the tax code gives you the option to pay less taxes, then heck, why, why, why would anybody be upset about it? I think I, sh- I think it's my responsibility to, to keep as much money as I am legally allowed to by the government. So a great CPA is really important. Um, the, uh, you know, like you said, a great handyman is, is awesome, right? If you're paying retail for properties 
it, it's just really tough. I can just tell you the last couple properties, I rarely flip at this point to resell. I'm only in a couple like outskirt areas. Usually I, I flip a property and then just rent it because like I said, then I can just cash out the equity tax-free. Um, so, uh, and then keep the property. Um, but yeah, my last couple of properties that I flipped and put renters into, I never even went and saw it. I just told my, my contractor, Hey, go make it pretty. And, uh, we also have had the conversation again, you know, we're all dads now, so we can all make cheesy dad jokes. The dad joke that I make is, um, you know, there's a rent renovation when you want to flip a property and then there's a rentovation, right? When you're, <laughs> when you're getting it flipped for a rental, right? There's a difference there because you're going to get a higher ROI when you sell with a renovation, but with a rentovation, you want to make it so that you're going to get the best ROI for somebody that's going to be renting it. And it's probably going to beat it up a little bit. So how do you, how do you get the most cost efficient, um, ways to have property that doesn't create lots of maintenance? for you so those are the people that we really need so quite a question for you rates have gone up tremendously in the past few months and they're going to continue to go up right so uh and i'm granted i'm probably looking in the wrong neighborhood sometimes but I, i'm looking at the property i'm looking at you know what they're selling for it's a premium dollar on some of these homes and i'm looking at what i can get for rent and the rent is going to be higher because it's a better area but I, I just not seeing like a, a cash flow break even on these for a while when I factor in, you know, the rate on the loans going up, then where I'm looking in county in Florida, you know, it's about I did the math, it's around like one point five, one point four seven five percent of the sale of the property is what you're gonna look at for the real estate tax. When I throw all that in, I'm kinda like upside down on these for quite some time. So how are you, are you seeing the same sort of thing, I guess, is the one question. And two, is it, is your secret sauce really those distressed properties then? Yeah, if you buy on market, that's your problem. So that that's another piece too, is you want to have a real estate agent that is not a normal real estate agent. Most real, like, like listen, you, you have to go to school longer to cut hair in most states than you do to get a real estate license, right? And I'll tell you what, we have a lot of clients that are real estate agents that come to us because... They got a real estate license thinking that's going to help them find out find properties. But like the MLS is not where you go to buy great investment properties. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, here's, here's the other piece to it is you, if you have a employee matched 401k, you should be maxing that out. Right. Um, and if you're cash flow negative on a property, it's like a 401k where, you know, maybe somebody's paying, maybe you're losing 200 bucks a month to own it but somebody's paying $2,000 a month to live there for you. So they're, they're matching your money by a lot, you know, by a lot. And that's really helping you grow. Um, but the reality is if you find off market properties, that's a huge deal. Like for us, part of the reason my, my retail real estate, real estate agent team has grown like crazy is because we help investors find off market properties. And those are the ones that'll cash flow. Um, if you go direct to seller, you're going to find these off-market properties, and those are going to be the ones that cash flow. But if you're competing with everybody else on the MLS, you're likely going to pay, you know, retail, and it's going to be hard to cash flow. Yeah, that that is interesting, and I think our our buddy Dave, when we talked to him, uh, sort of along the same lines, uh, in his findings, and and I had offline conversations with him. It, it could, you know, I don't know if it's 100 to 1. Maybe it's not quite that. But he would look at an awful lot of properties before he finds one that is 
that's the one, right, and that he knows he can make money on. So it, it sounded to me like there's a bit of research. And to your point, you could accelerate that research through all these tools that you mentioned, right? You could kind of pinpoint those deals much quicker um, if you're using some of these other tools as leverage. Um, I, I wanted to ask one quick question, Chris, in terms of the financing, and, and this is something that I've been reviewing as of late, looking at kind of the difference between financing a kind of a, a residential property versus a commercial property. It looks like the loan types are different. And I was just curious if, if from your experience, what's your knowledge in terms of what's the difference between like the terms on a residential property versus a commercial property in terms of the loan amount or the loan terms, I should say. Any, yeah, any insights so, there? Yeah, you're going to make a lot, you're going to get a lot better of an interest rate on uh um, on a residential property, on a commercial property, you, you're definitely going to put down 20, 25%. Um, you might have an AM schedule, which is amortization, which means how long you're paying it off, like scheduled over 30 years for a commercial property, but you're going to have like a, a five or a 10 year either balloon or reset an in interest rate. So it, it's not going to be scheduled where your payments are over five years. If you have a five-year arm, like a five-year balloon on it, um, it's going to be still scheduled so that it's like you're paying it off over 30 years. So at the end of it, you'll still have a balance, but then it's going to reset on the interest rate. So that's the the reason why you just got to find a great commercial lender. Don't just find somebody that you like, find somebody that has, you know, you should interview a couple people and find somebody that has a bunch of great products um, because some will just give you a five-year um a lot of people give you a 10 year on a commercial um, or, or a 20 year, um, you know, and some might do like a five year with a readjustment of interest rate with another five year after that. Um, so I know I, I might be talking Greek uh, on some of this, so I, I apologize if I am, but um, the reality is um, that's where it's just really important to, to have a couple conversations with some other people. And, and this is where you just find some people in real estate locally and just ask them for referrals for uh, commercial uh, lenders. Got it. Got it. No, that makes sense. And and I, I appreciate that. And I have one, one question for you that I wanted to retouch upon, and that was the family. So you have the six kids, the wife, you have all these activities. And I, I could barely manage my own life myself with my two kids, right? So you have all these kids. And in and, and terms of how does that, you know, are, are the kids part, do you teach them stuff from the business? I'm not sure the ages and stuff like that, but I'd love to learn a little bit more about, you know, how, how you're balancing all the different activities that are related to your portfolio of businesses. And you mentioned having a face to the folder, but that's still, you have to manage those faces on the folders and there's got to be meetings with them and communications and stuff like that. And do, do you have a way, you know, just tell us a little bit about that and how do you handle balancing? I know it's that question that gets asked a lot, but how do you do that work-life balance? Yeah, again, I mean, my whole thing is it's imperfect, right? There's things that, that are rough. So last night we had a client event, almost 400 people came to a winery that we rented out for past clients for a retail team. And my son, and this has been on the books for, for a long time. And one of my sons uh, ended up getting a, Play, his playoff flag football game rescheduled for the same time of the event. So I ended up, it, it was, it was a bummer. You know, I missed my, I, I ended up missing my son's flag football, you know, playoff game last night, which 
I really work to to be at their games and and all that. But there's tons of times that I, we have two kids at the same time, or or even three kids at the same time, and you know, my wife and I'll go to one, we'll get my mom to go to one, or, or sometimes we'll just drop kids off and just say, Hey, we can't, we can't be there today, you know, cause you know, but we try to round robin it so that we're not missing any one kid's game very often. But with six kids, I mean, there's overlap in games oftentimes. And so my parents came to my games, even like we had a lot of baggage in a lot of other areas, but they did come to my games and, and everything else. And, and we want to be there and present. And so it's, it's just imperfect, but you know, my, actually my brother-in-law uh, is getting, or got my wife a t-shirt that just said, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And that's, <laughs> that's just it because like on uh we, we go to the Caribbean every year over, over new year's and just with all the little kids running around and doing everything, you know, Catherine's just like, I'm just doing the best I can, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of how some of this breaks down is we just do the best that we can. And, you know, it's imperfect. And sometimes there's things that we miss, but we work as real, as hard as we can to be as present as we can. I, I definitely don't, it's, it's not worth being an absentee father. You know, I'm a Christian guy. The Bible says, you know, what is it gain? What is it gain? Profit a person to gain the whole world and lose your soul. Like, I don't care if I make a, a billion dollars and, you know, I'm not present for my kids. So like, I, I just work to do that, but sometimes I miss things and I just try to make sure I don't miss things often. Wow. Very good. Very good. Uh, I want to go in, uh, sort of my, my final question. I'd like to ask everybody something we started doing a number of episodes ago, and we've got <laughs> some, some pretty good answers sometimes out of this. So what's the biggest financial mistake you've made and what's the best piece of advice you've received? Oh man. So biggest financial mistake was in 2011, I made, I, I, I crushed it on my flips, right? Um, this is right before we, I ended up getting my license between 11 and, uh, and 13, just did a really great job there. And so then I, you know, Jim, Jim Collins in his book, how the mighty fall talk about the hubris born of success, right? You think that you can touch anything and it'll turn to gold at like the mightiest touch. And, uh, and what happened was, uh, I just went really big on projects that had a long, long cash cycle, right? These, uh, development projects in DC and, I think I bought like 26 of them and I ended up like signing, borrowing money from friends, family, everything else for up to $10 million. And if they all closed on time, I, I would have made, you know, three times that, four times that like made it, made it. And, but what happened was, um, you know, the cash cycle was too long and I got, got to a point where we couldn't make payments. It was just really, really rough. I mean, literally I couldn't sleep. My hair was falling out. I was grinding my teeth at night. Like it was crazy because I just tried to go to, I, I had the hubris board of success. I thought I could, I, I didn't look at all the risks there, you know? And, uh, and so we, we ended up getting out of it. It took me two years to get out of it, pay off the debt, pay off all the other stuff. Um, it also, it made me the person that I am today. Um, but you know, I was, I mean, I was doing every, like I got more creative than I've ever been in my life. So I um, was able to get out of that and then made me the person I am today. But one of the uh, pieces of advice that came from that, you know, one of my mentors during that time, he's like, Chris, you're going to get through this. You're going to learn a lot and it's going to help you when you're helping other people and help you with the rest of your life. And he said this, and this is something I'll never forget. He's like, and listen, nobody should ever trust somebody that doesn't walk with a limp. And I was like, holy crap, that's great advice. <laughs> so, and, and I see that now there's all these, 
if you if you look at some of these multifamily um, properties that people are getting into, like these, uh, they call them syndications, um, which is where you buy into like these multifamilies. There's a lot of these people putting together syndications and they've never been through rough times. So they're buying with like thin margins. They're making money because the market's good, but they don't walk with a limp. And they're, and I remember asking one guy and I'm really worried because a lot of my friends are investing with this guy. I said, so you're buying with thin margins. And he, and I was like, what happens when the market goes bad? And he's like, well, well, it's not going to go bad anytime soon. I was like, but what happens if it does? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, it's just not. And I'm like, that's not a good strategy. You've got to have a strategy if it goes bad. You're like, trust me, I'm walking with the limp. What if it goes bad? So anyway, that's, that's my answer. That's awesome. No, thank you for the time today. We really appreciate it, Chris. Um, we, we typically close the show kind of briefly. We'll call it, we call it a summary recap. I'll go first. I'll, I'll kind of say what I took away from the show. Paul will um, take, you know, give his takeaways from the show. And then, Chris, we'll give you the final word to talk about your businesses, where they can find you, any final takeaways. So I, I, if it's okay, I'll go first. The big thing that jumped out at me early in the podcast was massive and imperfect action. When I first heard it, I, I, I thought you said massive and perfect action. But then when you started talking about it more, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And I had to correct it in my notes here. So massive and imperfect action. I like that where, you know, come, you know, whether it's just start or just jump in the pool, whatever that is, um, I love that term. So I, there's other things I could talk about, but that's the one that really stood out to me the most. So thank you for that. Uh, Paul, what were your takeaways? I, I had a few. Um, I'm going to stick with the last one there. Nobody should trust anybody who doesn't walk with a limp. Uh, I, I, I kind of like that. Um, some of the other ones I did, I did like, you know, wealth is when your money works harder than you stuff like that. But thank you. I learned a tremendous amount today. Definitely got to listen to this a few times. Yeah, this is great, Chris. So with that, we'll let you close and then we'll, we'll kind of close out with our final, re you know, our final show closing. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a couple things, you know, if, if you're a real estate agent and an investor, I've got a podcast, obviously the average podcast listener listens to seven podcasts. Keep listening here, but I'd love to be one of your seven. Um, and that's for real estate agents who are also investors, the convergence of the two. It's called Uncommon Real Estate. Um, that's one. Number two is any of the stuff that I talked about, if you want me to connect you with any of these people that are in my world, most of them are nationwide. Not all of them, like contractors or whatever or not, but like most of the other people are nationwide. So feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. It's an old cheesy high school nickname. I probably need a business account, but whatever. Um, but I personally answer all these. Just give me some grace because like it takes, you know, sometimes it takes a little while for me to get back, but it'll be me um, at Cradrock, C-R-A-D-D-R-O-C-K. Send me a, a DM and, and I'll answer. I'll, I'll connect you with any, any great people, CPAs, uh, self-directed IRAs, all of that stuff there. And then Here's the other thing. If you thought about <clears throat> getting into real estate or you are in real estate, um, we are partnering with uh, people nationwide. So one of the reasons I went over to EXP is because it's a like the platform allows you to partner with anybody that comes in where I can just give you all of our stuff, everything to make you successful um, in in real estate and uh, help you help you win on the agent side, investor side, whatever. So if you're ever th thinking about becoming a real estate agent, reach out chriscraddick.com. Um, we'll talk to you how we can partner together, how we can help you, you know, what we can do to serve you. And uh, yeah, rock and roll from there. Very cool. Thanks, Chris. Um, and with that, we, we have a favor we'd like to ask our listeners. Uh, please go to YouTube and search for Financial Dads and please subscribe to our channel. We'd really appreciate that. 
Uh, well, Paul and Chris, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Um, thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. 